and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, I want to invite you to download the Mike Broomhead Show podcast. It's very simple to do on any device that you have. Listen at your convenience. Never miss a minute of the show. And I want to thank my friend Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, for sponsoring it this week. Get higher price selling your home right now. Guaranteed offers by going to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. A frequent topic on the show is the rise in crime. How do we as a society, we know we need police officers, we need prosecutors, we need all of this. How do we stop criminals from becoming criminals? That's always been the question. Is this nature versus nurture? Do we get people when they're younger and give them an education and that stops them from being criminals? All of this is valuable conversations for us to have. But we are seeing a large spike in crime across the country and there are people that are upset that leadership in this country went down the direction, went down the road of uh, defund the police. I think we have to acknowledge that crime will always be a part of who we are as human beings, that there are people among us, for whatever reason, we can argue about the causes, but for whatever reason, they are predators. That when you and I, if you and I see this is a graphic description, but if you and I were to drive down the road late at night and you see a young girl with a flat tire, you and I think, oh, my gosh, that poor girl, you pull over and you want to help her get her tire changed because no young girl should be out late at night by herself on the side of the road with a flat tire. There's a segment of our society that sees that as prey. Whether it's, you know, something horrible that they see they would be able to do to that person. It's a foreign way for most of us to think, but it exists. It's out there. The people that are doing smash and grab robberies, the people that are making it dangerous to work and open a store. Um, This New York City, this is a story I pulled. It says New New York City bodega owner or bodega, as the first lady would say. The New York City bodega owner sends a message to President Biden as felony assault. Sores, he's to jump in our shoes for one day. And this is about a Brooklyn store owner that talked about, he said, I would tell President Biden with all my respect to jump in our shoes for one day to see how it feels to wake up in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, open your store and looking back and you see what's going on and stab someone stabs you and or what's going to happen next. He said, because after COVID, we don't have help. Small businesses don't have no support. And on top of that, we're dealing with criminals. So it's really, really, really bad. And innocent people, good, hardworking people, no one's perfect. They deserve to know that when crimes are committed, that they are going to catch and punish the criminals. We should be able to have that. Support for law enforcement or from law enforcement. And when we don't have that, because police departments aren't uh, fully operational, they're not fully staffed, they're not fully equipped, that's what is in, 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 enraging. You know, there's a level of this that affects every one of us. Now, most people don't have an interaction with the police in their life very often, maybe getting pulled over to, in that regard. But most people don't have to call the police in their life. But when they do, they have an expectation that they're going to get a cop show up. 
So while cops are running around in the streets of Phoenix chasing um, priority one calls, the priority two and the priority three calls sit and wait. So if you've got a a problem with a neighbor, if your home's been vandalized, if your car's been vandalized, you know, if your car's stolen, they take the report over the phone, but are they ever going to find your car? When these things happen... People get upset because you pay taxes, you do the right thing, you live a good life, you treat people fairly. And when somebody preys on you, your recourse is to sit back and take it. Because if you take the law into your own hands, now you're a criminal. We don't want street justice, and we're going to see more and more street justice. One of the things we see with the murder rate that happens is street justice. You understand that in large numbers, that's part of what's happening. The gang wars that are happening in the city of Chicago, when you see – Criminals fighting other criminals because there's no recourse when you're when you see these rip crews and what they do is they rob drug dealers. Why? Because a drug dealer is not going to call the police and say, I was just robbed. So how do you stop that? How do you fight back against somebody that would rob you? You find him in the street and you kill him. And so we we know what street justice looks like and none of us want it. So why do we continue to either not prosecute criminals? Why do we continue to not fully staff and fully equip the police departments around our cities? And why do we not say if you are a criminal, we are not going to glorify what you do anymore? We've made the criminals the heroes and we've made the heroes the criminals. And it's happened over the last few years. We're watching the complete decimation of police departments with officers leaving agencies like Seattle because they feel like they're losing the battle, not just on the streets, but with leadership in the city. And when you when you hear the this blew my mind about a month or so ago, the 7-Eleven Corporation was recommending shutting down the 7-Elevens in L.A. County. Imagine how many 7-Eleven stores there are in L.A. because they couldn't keep up with the shoplifting and the robberies that were happening. They weren't making any money. It was dangerous to their employees, and they were losing money because of the sh- for the shoplifting and all the other things that were happening. It, it, it's amazing to me that this is going on. And we have an opportunity to talk with leadership by voting And listening to when somebody says, and I've given this speech so many times, when somebody wants to be elected to an office or reelected to an office and they preach the phrase public safety first. We talked with Phoenix Fire. There there is now a movement in the city of Phoenix because they are so dramatically understaffed and under-equipped in the city of Phoenix. Their job, which is already a deadly job, it is an immensely dangerous job, is becoming more and more dangerous, not just for the firefighters and paramedics that work on those trucks. But their response times have been elevated so high that you know every minute that a fire burns, it doubles in size, I think, is the statistic. So imagine the difference between a five-minute and a ten-minute minute response time for a fire at your house. Imagine an illness in your house. Someone has a heart attack. Someone, my my former mother-in-law who passed away a few years ago um, had a stroke on a Saturday morning in our home. And it was one of the most helpless feelings I've ever felt in my life. And imagine hearing those sirens in the distance and the longer it takes, the worse it gets. 
we've got to really focus, I think, as, as, as a citizenry of the importance of public safety. And we have to make sure that we are electing people that know that when you say public safety first on your campaign signs, your bumper stickers and your T-shirts, you have to do that when you're in office. We have got to be a better, more educated electorate. And where the people we elect to office stand on the issues that are most important to society. That's where we start. That is where we start. In a moment, we are going to talk about the economy. Once again, what happened on Wall Street yesterday, it looks as if it's stabilizing a little bit today. The good news, the bad news, and the ugly. We'll talk about that coming up in just a couple of moments. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, has everybody worried. It looked, the Dow Jones is up about 87 points. It's kind of maintained that being up under 100 points most of the day. The NASDAQ is up 100 points, um, less than 1%. So we're seeing a little bit of, if nothing else, a stabilization after the big fall that happened yesterday. Um, the, the big questions, and I, I think we all know this by now, but the big questions are, how far is the Fed going to have to go with rate increases to slow the economy down enough? And is it going to drive us into a recession? They're talking about a rate increase that could be the highest in 40 years maybe happening this week. It's all conjecture and speculation. But that's what terrifies Wall Street. Wall Street wins, whether it's good news or bad news, when they definitely know the news. There's no doubt about it. They, When they know which direction to go, they win. They always do. It is the unknown that terrifies Wall Street. So we don't know what the Fed's going to do. We don't know how far they're going to have to go to ease inflation. And at what point is slowing down the economy going to dramatically drop the economy? There have been some bright spots, and I've been pretty clear about them. I, I, You know my political leanings if you listen. I'm not a fan of this president. I'm not a fan of his policies. It's not him personally. I'm not a fan of the policies. But I don't want to see America fail. Because if this president fails and America fails, it's bad for all of us. I don't want to see small business owners that struggled and struggled and struggled and were able to somehow survive COVID-19 and the nonsense that happened there to reopen their businesses now to find out supply chain issues and the cost of running their business is driving them out of business. I don't want to see people that are hanging on to their jobs and the only reason why they're able to even hang on at all financially by paying their rent and paying for food is that they've got a second job that they can go to. If they lose that, they're sunk. Are we headed in that direction? And I don't want to see that happen. The bright spots we've seen in the economy have been the availability of employment has been very, very good. That's been a bright spot. And gas prices dropping, easing the pain for some people. But we're still seeing inflation. This is what we cannot get away from. I, I don't blame the White House. Anybody else would do the same thing. You're going to paint the rosiest picture you can. I certainly didn't expect that President Biden was going to come out and say, man, we're in trouble. I, I geez, I had thought this was going to be fixed by now. I don't know what to do. I didn't think he was going to say that. They're going to paint as rosy a picture as they can. 
He talks about employment being strong. They talk about manufacturing being strong. But they're spending money and spending money and spending money. One of the key indicators, this is fascinating to me. One of the key things they said they want to do is to to stop inflation, is reduce the deficit as fast as they can. Okay, fair enough. But then why would you add billions of dollars in new spending, almost a trillion from the mouths of the people that are talking about this um, tuition reduction? So what you're doing is you're saying you're saving money over here, but you're spending it over here. That's not deficit reduction. That's shifting of the debt. So there doesn't seem to be, in my mind anyway, there doesn't seem to be a financial consistency or a planned consistency when it comes to the economy of the United States. We are saying that we have to shave the deficit. We have to stop the deficit spending. And then we spend billions and billions and billions of dollars in a climate agenda that they are forcing on people. And I I will tell you that my belief is that this is being pushed on the American people a decade before we can even begin to do it. I will tell you, if I were president, and that should scare every one of you, even the thought that I might be. But if I were the president, what I would be doing, what I would have done is I would have said, we understand his words, if I were him. We understand that climate change is the biggest issue that this country and the world is facing. And in order for us to get our arms around climate change, we have got to dramatically beef up our infrastructure. Because if we're going to move to electric vehicles, if that's going to be the future, and I believe it is, then we are going to have to dramatically improve our electrical infrastructure and the electrical grid for national security reasons and for health reasons for people. We've got to beef up the infrastructure. Once we are on track to beef up that infrastructure, then we are going to go out and we are going to make sure the availability of charging stations is available everywhere in America. Rural areas, hard to reach places. There's enough of them in cities and towns. We're going to get them in apartment complexes and condominium complexes and office buildings. We're going to do all of that, but we can't do any of that until we improve the infrastructure. That's not what they're saying. They're giving discounts and they're giving tax credits to buy electric vehicles. They're telling people to buy electric vehicles. They're moving toward battery manufacturing and mining in Canada. They're doing they're putting the cart before the horse in so many places. The state of California is such a dramatic example of this. They're going to get rid of electric or of gas powered vehicles in that state. And in the very week that they said that's the direction they're going, they actually asked their citizens to not charge their electric vehicles because it was too stressful to the electric grid during a heat wave. There is no consistency in these policies. In the meantime, you say we have an Inflation Reduction Act that spends more money when you say the way to reduce inflation is reduce the deficit. It's inconsistent. It is absolutely, without a doubt, inconsistent. And that is what frustrates people. We had a short conversation about the border earlier. Um, Migrant deaths have declined a little bit, which is good news. Encounters have risen. There is still a high number of people crossing the southern border of the United States. One of the stories from Cronkite News and some other stories on the border that we have to talk about. Next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
We talk about the border quite a bit. And here uh, from January 1st to September 1st of this year, there were 136 bodies recovered in the desert, uh, according to the Pima County Medical Examiner's Office down in southern Arizona, uh, compared with 163 from the same period of year before, which means there's been a reduction of bodies found in Arizona, which is good news. Uh, Customs and Border Protection members are not yet able uh, available for the uh, statistics for August, but they reported that apprehensions are up. In the Tucson and Yuma sectors, they jumped 75% through the end of July, going from 193,774 to over 340,000 interactions or, or, or uh, uh, um, apprehensions. So we look at the border issue and you think about those numbers. Uh, so the, the governor of Arizona, Governor Doug Ducey, defended the state of Arizona busing people that want to go to Washington, D.C., to Washington, D.C. We know that the cities of Washington, D.C., Chicago, and New York are then busing people. We know Chicago for sure is taking the migrants into their sanctuary city. They call themselves a sanctuary city. They have demonized and vilified any city that isn't a sanctuary city. And then what happens when people show up on their doorstep, they put them on buses and send them to the suburbs. Um, If you think about the numbers of, of people that have been sent to those three cities, And you compare it to the number 340,000 just at the Arizona border. That's the statistic the rest of the country needs to hear. What are we doing as a society? What are we doing um, allowing this to happen in our country? On one hand, yes, these are people that are breaking the law. Yes, these are people that need to be accountable for breaking our laws, and yet we are not holding them accountable. That's part of it. But the other part of this, and I wish – I don't know how – I couldn't make it happen, but I don't know why others aren't. It is an issue that people in this country have been talking about. The vice president of the United States said that the border is secure. Then a border sheriff in Texas came back and said it absolutely isn't. Well, why not put American eyes on it? Why aren't the major news networks down there videotaping, in reality, what we're seeing at the border? My eyes were so opened, uh, I think it was 2009, when I went to McAllen, Texas. And I went down to McAllen, Texas on kind of a humanitarian thing, taking food and supplies to the people that were crossing the border. This is when the, those tens of thousands of unaccompanied minors were crossing into southern Texas across the Rio Grande. And I remember just looking at the sheer numbers of children and they were by themselves. Now, many of them traveled together where it was cousins or brothers and sisters or whatever, but they were with no adult supervision and the cartels didn't care. I'll tell you a couple of real life stories from that to tell you how I know in my mind where the cartels stand and what kind of uh, how devoid they are of any emotion. Two stories, uh, both in McAllen, Texas. There was a girl about the age of six years old that was found wandering on the American side of the Rio Grande all by herself in the elements. Had she not been found by Border Patrol or or ICE, whatever agency it was that found her, had she not been found, she was in the elements and she probably would have died. She was found with a note and a phone number wandering by herself. So the cartels brought her across the river and just left her there. There was a young person that was paralyzed um, 
that was brought across the river by the cartels and literally laid on the American side of the border of the of the river and just left there. And it went back across the other side of the river to get more people. Um, I watched children being herded like cattle. I watched those cages be filled up that we saw during the Trump administration. But my eyes were open to the immense problem. Everybody, you're, you're a human being. You're looking at people and you can be a law enforcement officer and in your mind say, I've got a job to do it enforcing laws. Cops do deal with that every single day. But when you see a street cop, when you see a cop in the city you live in have to deal with a situation where children are involved, it gets to them. You know, they have kids of their own many times and they're looking at these children and realizing these are innocent victims in whatever's going on in this family. These kids were pawns in a political game. They had no idea the implications. And many of those kids are probably grown up now here. But as children, they're by themselves. They don't most of the time don't speak English. They are sitting by themselves on a cot with no one that they've ever known around them. And they don't know what to do. And the system gets overwhelmed because the agents, the Border Patrol, CBP, and ICE agents and the people that are employed to take care of this problem are looking at thousands and thousands of children being dumped on the American side of the border with no one. Now, they may have family members somewhere, but in that instance, they have nothing. Dirty clothes, dirty kids, hungry medical screening, a cot to sleep in before they get them somewhere else. The emotional toll it took just witnessing it for the couple of days I did, and that was nothing compared to the day-in and day-out struggle. If the American people don't stand up and say, that's an unacceptable thing to be happening at our border, and not just say it, but mean it, it's never going to change. This administration is not going to change its policies unless the voters in America make sure they know it's going to be disastrous for their elections um, if they don't. And something needs to be done, and it can be done. But these stories that we keep hearing, and you read them anecdotally, about 340,000 people. I want you to think about that number, 340,000 people, and dealing with people that are hungry and sick and tired and children and all of these things that happen on a daily basis. And you're dealing with other human beings. This isn't some abstract idea. You are dealing with humanity. Yes, our, our laws have to be obeyed, but we've got to stop what's happening. And we aren't. We haven't talked about the national security implications. We haven't talked about the fentanyl and the drugs and other drug uh, implications. We're talking simply from a human being standpoint that we as Americans, as the American voting public, have allowed a policy in place that has made it so much worse at the border that our border has been named the most dangerous land crossing in the world. And the only way it changes is if we say that's not going to happen in our America. And we do something about it. And it's sad. I agree with you. You've got to enforce laws. I hate seeing the drugs. But the human element of this is something that should be focused on by everyone. And it just isn't. It's so political and it has nothing to do with the reality of what people are facing. In a moment, uh, the new battleground, the new political battleground in America, school boards. We're going to talk about that coming up in just a moment. 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. An interesting story written in Politico, a new battleground school chiefs, and it's talking about, uh, you know, the, the school board members. And we have seen, I've been talking about this for a long time, Arizona has been ground zero for a lot of this. Uh, national story because of this, uh, the in Scottsdale, the Unified School District, what happened to parents uh, that were trying to question, that dared to ask questions about policies and about procedures and about curriculum when it came to COVID-19 and masks and things of that nature, and other people that are questioning certain curriculums like uh, CRT and uh, you know uh, social SEL, all these three-letter acronyms, uh, critical race theory, social-emotional learning, things of that nature. Whether or not you agree with the parent's criticism or question, we all should agree that ultimately we want the parents involved and they should be asking lots of questions. Um, The big complaint that I've heard from teachers over the years is kind of like the complaint I had as a football coach, which I'm not comparing to being a teacher other than parental interaction. The big complaint was there are some parents we never meet. They consider school a babysitting service. They considered football a babysitting service. Kids got dropped off. Kids got picked up. There was no interaction. There was no involvement. We all understand that there are parents that are too involved. We understand that. But I would much rather have an over-involved parent than a non-existent parent. So a parental engagement is something we've all wanted. And then when they got it and they didn't like what they were being told, some districts were abusive towards parents. The National School Board Association came out and called them domestic terrorists in a letter to the White House. So an interesting study in Politico, I'm just going to read one little thing from it. It said, we are at a time where the issues that impact education are seeing a higher profile. And that is impacting a whole host of electoral circumstances. That was uh, Paulo De De Maria, who retired as Ohio State superintendent. Um, And I think that to be true. I know that to be true. So, you know, school board members uh, in in Arizona, they choose curriculum. They oversee and set the rules for staff and for supervisors. Um, They have control of district finances. How do you pay for? How do you divvy up the money from bonds and overrides and the state-funded money and federal dollars that come into your school district? How much do you pay teachers? What do you pay your administrators? What do you pay the superintendent? How much does it cost to maintain your buildings? That's all part of what school board members do. They take care of school board properties, managing and controlling the property, including funding, renovations, and upgrades, and construction facilities facilities in their district. It's an important job. It was largely overlooked. These are supposed to be nonpartisan races. In other words, you are not to know because it shouldn't be necessary to be a member of one political party or another to be a member of a school board. After we saw what was going on with online learning, there aren't many people out there that don't see them as a political office. They definitely see them as a partisan political office. And so at the uh, state level for the superintendent who sets the overall rules and expectations and standards, that is a partisan race. But if you look at school board races, you don't see Republican signs and Democrat signs and head-to-head matchups. You just see signs. And you have to do homework on where those people stand and what they will do with your tax dollars and educating your children. And since – Uh, COVID-19 and the online learning, at-home learning, where parents were working from home and watching their children be educated on a screen and hearing what some curriculums were being taught 
and hearing how teachers were teaching, parents became very concerned and they became very involved. And I've said before, the fastest way to turn a parent into an activist is do something that they think is detrimental to their child. And we've been seeing it across the country, absolutely nationwide. And parents have a right to speak up. If you are teaching something, whether they think it's appropriate in their house or not, when you're teaching something that parents are saying, listen, I don't want my child learning that, and you push back and say, we'll decide what your child will learn, you are in big trouble with the American public. There's no doubt about it. Um, There was a story about um, a a teacher, a New York middle school teacher, instructs students on how to throw bricks in an undercover video. So I didn't get the I didn't pull the video because it was uh, very hard to hear. But this teacher in this undercover video was talking about going through uh, with her young class in New York City, telling her class how to throw bricks. She says it's challenging um, and saying that they don't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance and that they should change the words and don't stand up. That's the kind of political activism that needs to be wiped out of classrooms. Those teachers need to be gone in the minds of many parents. And when parents are speaking up, they're having school boards call them domestic terrorists. That's why there has this been re- this renewed um, interest in school boards. And I think it's I, I think it's a great thing for the country. I think we we should always know who's in charge. These are the people that collect your tax dollars. They write the curriculum. They buy the curriculum. They implement the curriculum. They make teacher pay. They oversee staff. They do all of this important work at a school board. And I guarantee you most people don't know anything about the people that are elected to those offices. And that seems to me to be very, very uh irresponsible. But it's how everybody was. We had an expectation that our school system operated like it operated when we were kids and it just doesn't in some cl- in some places. And I, this renewed interest is a direct fallout from that kind of behavior I just read about with that teacher. When you're doing things like that, teaching children how to organize a protest. Okay, I'd rather have them read. Let's teach them to spell protest first. Uh, Coming up in a moment, more details on the Sarver investigation, the fallout from the managing partner of the Suns and the Mercury. Next.